Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kotkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. In this episode, I'm speaking with Marilla, a mom of two who first learned about Montessori when she sent her older son to a Montessori school when he was 22 months old. Her boys are now six and two and a half, and we chat about the joys and challenges of parenting from a Montessori perspective, and how Marilla went from thinking Montessori sounded kind of cultish to being, as she puts it, a hardcore Montessori mom. I was particularly interested in interviewing Marilla because she and her husband are both monolingual parents born here in the U.S., but they made the decision to introduce a second language to their boys, and now Marilla is learning Mandarin along with her sons. We talk about how this idea came about and strategies she is using to help support the boys' language acquisition in a language she herself isn't fluent in. We also had a wonderful and unexpected discussion about the connection between music and language, which as a musician and a language enthusiast, I particularly enjoyed. A few notes about our conversation. You'll hear us talk about AMI, which stands for Association Montessori Internationale, the organization that was founded by Maria Montessori and her son Mario in 1929. You'll hear us talk about the YCC, which stands for Youngest Children's Community, another name for a toddler community, with children from about 16 months to 3 years old. You'll also hear us talk about the Children's House, a mixed-age class of 2.5 to 6-year-olds in a Montessori school. We also discuss the Planes of Development, which are developmental stages identified by Maria Montessori. We talk about the first plane of development, which spans from birth to six years of age, and the second plane of development, which spans from six to 12 years of age. Okay, I think that's all you need to know. So now here is my conversation with Marilla. Well, hi, Marilla. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Multilingual Montessori Podcast. My pleasure. It's so good to speak with you. Yeah, you too. Um, I'd love to start out by having you introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do about your family. Wow. Okay. Um, my name's Marilla. Um, I have two boys, a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, my husband is very hands-on, um, but I'm a stay-at-home mom. Well, you and I met when your older son joined my children's house class it, when he was two-and-a-half. And now he is six. Um, So I'd love to hear how you first found out about Montessori and what drew you to Montessori. So I first, you know, I I feel like I usually I'm a wing it kind of parent, even though I really like to do things well. And um, um, but I do trust myself and my judgment to improvise in the moment. Um, and you know, I didn't really start, honestly, I didn't really start thinking about where to send my child to school until he was, you know, until I was basically gasping for air. Um, and then I started asking around, like, you know, where, where do you, what do you, you know, asking all of my peers and all of my friends and 
Um, luckily, my husband has an older sister, and so she had al already been through um, uh, this kind of thing. And, you know, talking with people that we just really respected. And the common thing, as soon as anyone heard Montessori, the, it was like everyone said the exact same thing. Montessori is the best. And so I was like, okay, all right, noted. Obviously I want the best for my children, my child. Um, and then come to find out we lived really close to an exceptional one. So that pretty much like sealed the deal for us. Yeah. Um, so your older son joined the uh, youngest children's community. And what was that experience like for it him was, and for you? Well, for me, it was glorious. Um, he was 22 months old and it was basically the first time that I really got a break. Um, and prior to that, you know, I, um, we had gotten a babysitter and that's actually an important part of our story because she's still very much, I, I feel like she's my sister now. Um, but we kind of started our Montessori journey together. She was just out of um, undergraduate and thinking about, she was doing actually research with children at a local university. And, um, you know, she, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do next. And so I, she, she loved children. And so, you know, we, our paths crossed and she would come over every morning for about two hours and help me out. Um, and we really did discover Montessori together. That was when our, you know, we were both reading books about, you know, about it and um, sharing our books and talking about the different ideas. And that really, and then she ended up becoming an AMI certified guide and going on to grad school. And, um, you know, this is what she does now. She's a, a children's house guide. What do you remember from those early days um, when you were learning about Montessori? It was, it was a bit of a crash course. And I will be honest with you at first, you know, the Montessori way is very different, almost like it comes from a different time. Um, and so my husband and I, you know, we had to go through all of these um, presentations that the school required prior to being accepted. And my husband and I called them the brainwashings. Oh, we've got a brainwashing <laughs> tonight. You know, it was, it seemed very cultish. Uh -huh. And um and then I remember my first conference with um, my oldest child whenever he was, you know, in the youngest children's community. And I remember being so excited because I just couldn't wait to hear what um, the guide had to say about how incredible he was and how he was, you know, comparing to other children and possibly, you know, like how did he rank? Um, and the whole time all she said was he's exact he's exactly where I expect him to be he is tracking he's right on track for where he needs to be you know and I remember walking out of there just feeling kind of deflated like I was ready to be um you know told what a good job I was doing and how wonderful he is and it was 
it was, it really made me think about like how competitively I approach life and how competitive my childhood was and my whole like, you know, educational environment was very, very competitive and how mind blowing it is to think about serving the child. And that was, that was four years ago, over four years ago now. And I do think that, you know, every day it has been like a learning experience for me and kind of like retraining myself. Um, and I think that, you know, my children are so happy to be at school and they're learning so much and they're like, have a voracious curiosity. So I have no doubt that we're on the right track and doing the right things. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about the parent infant classes. So with your first child, you started when he was 22 months. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the journey with your second child and Montessori. I think I enjoyed the second one, the second child experience so much more just because I felt more confident in um, the parent that I wanted to be. And I felt more confident in my ability to be that perfect, that parent and provide that environment and knowing that I had the community and the support and the school all figured out. It was such a relief. Um, but it was so sweet, you know, to bring these babies, you know, like I think two months through, um, when they start in the youngest children's community, you know, I think 15 months now, 16 months. Um, but you know, my youngest child, um, also potty trained or learned how to use the toilet. I'm still like, you know, <laughs> he learned how to use the toilet very early. So, you know, that was just so amazing to see. And he was also an early walker. Um, so he was walking around, he started walking at like eight and a half months and then, you know, using the toilet, I don't know, around 14 months, 15 months. Um, and it's just amazing to see like, they want to do it, you know, if you provide the right environment and to watch the way that he would explore all the different little things and just have like freedom to go pretty much all the way around the whole house, you know, as long as it was prepared and safe and, you know, I was generally around, I felt very comfortable. It was a lot of fun, honestly, in a surprising way. Yeah. Um, what was your experience when between the, what were your different experiences with them being in the toddler community, your older son, and then your younger son, was that, um, any different for you having them go through that class? I already had a relationship with the guide. Um, and so I think that made it easier because she understood our family and, um, you know, I knew her family too. So it was more of a, um, it really did feel like part of a natural village mm. um, in a, such a sweet way. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about the children's house. So now you had one child go through three and a half years in the children's house. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, your younger one has just started what um what did you learn as a parent parenting a child 
between the ages of three and six, like in the children's house, what has that experience been like for you? Well, it's been three years, trying to distill three years um, coherently. Um, and while I'm still sleep deprived, it's a <laughs> challenge, but um, it was fascinating. And I, I was thinking about this recently, but it's fascinating to remember dropping him off with you um, that first time. And he was so excited about the pink tower. Mm -hmm. And then picking him up on his final day, you know, three and a half years later, and he's reading and um, writing and he prepared a report on ducks. And it was like, he was thrilled, you know, like just so excited about it. And it's been really beautiful to just watch him and support that curiosity and follow the curiosity and know that um, he's getting what he needs at school and loving that. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, this, we've sort of touched on this and this is also such a big question. So don't feel like you have to answer comprehensively, but how do you think that Montessori has informed your parenting style or approach? Um, you know, I love, it's been hard to put my finger on exactly what it is that I think makes the biggest difference. Um, but I think that being a part of the Montessori community and specifically, you know, at the Montessori school, the amount of respect and dignity that the children are treated with, it just, you know, every time I think about it, I get goosebumps. It's so beautiful to really connect you know if you are trying to persuade someone or show someone something to have a real connection and treat that person with respect and then explain sometimes ad nauseum <laughs> um, why we're doing what we're doing um, I think it's just beautiful the result and, and I think the children feel it within themselves that they are treated with respect and they are valued. And I think they value themselves more and have better confidence. And a, um, I, I just wish, you know, we could all, <laughs> I wish the world were a Montessori world. Yeah. Um, what do you think has been the most challenging part of trying to raise your children from a Montessori perspective? It's been, a, it's been a really interesting journey. You know, like when I started off as a very young, a new parent, um, like meeting other friend, other people with children and then having play dates and that sort of thing. Um, and then as I've become more and more like, I call it like hardcore Montessori, <laughs> um, you know, like we really don't do screen time and we really don't do, you know, we really try to um, provide healthy food and, you know, not just, it's not like about controlling their environment, like to a, I don't know, potentially detrimental way, you know, like they have the option to eat treats or that sort of thing, but it's just not part of um, like the daily vocabulary, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's been a little bit challenging whenever we have friends or neighbors who just plug the kids into the TV or um, 
you know, do things that are, that, that I would say has been the biggest challenge. Like how do we navigate our adult relationships um, in a way that is healthy for everybody and productive and constructive for everyone? Um, you know, like I still, my brother is a big computer guy um, and he's, he's like horrified that, um, you know, my children are not watching enough TV and uh -huh. playing enough video games. <laughs> so he has big opinions on, you know, what I'm doing wrong, but he also doesn't have children. So we'll see <laughs> what happens. Yeah. Um, last time we spoke, you were talking about leaving children's space to fail and how that is sometimes a challenge. Tell me more about that. So it's been interesting. And I, a credit to our school and our community, I feel very supportive and I supported and I would have never like known this is the moment to do this now. This is the moment to give him space to fail. This is the moment to, you know, say you're, you're in elementary now. You make, elementary students make their own lunches. And it's kind of painful for me as a bit of a control freak and perfectionist um, to watch his peanut butter and jelly game. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think he, he actually, I remember telling him elementary students make their own lunches and he had like a little, like his shoulders fell and he was sad for, I would say five seconds. And then he processed and realized like, I, I am capable. And, you know, like, obviously I don't know what his inner monologue was, but I saw him like kind of take a breath and then he was like, okay. And then he went and made his lunch and he fully, he was totally capable. Um, but it, it has been interesting and it doesn't get us out the door, like on, on the schedule that I would like every morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I would like to have a little bit more control and be, have a little bit more, um, breathing space to get out the door in the morning. Um, but we're still figuring it out, you know, and we've yeah. talked about it and we've talked about how maybe making the lunch, you know, in the evening before going to bed, um, so that we're prepared in the morning might be a better option, but he's also gotten a lot faster at making his lunch. So mm. oh, I love that. I can, I can just see that him processing. Okay. I can do this. Um, so what other changes have you noticed in him going into the second plane of development? So the, in Montessori, we talk about the planes of development and the first plane is zero to six. And then the second plane is six to 12. And we talk about a lot of shifts and changes that happen. And, you know, in teacher training, we talk about it from a very academic point of view, but what have you noticed living with a child newly in the second plane of development? Have you noticed changes in him or have you made any changes in, in how you parent him versus your younger child or how you parented your older child before? I definitely, now I try to give him more space, you know, to make his choices and then see how that works out and talk about it. You know, like, um, well, I noticed 
you know, we ran out of time and you didn't get to put that extra thing, chop up that extra thing you wanted to put in your lunch. But we really do have to go right now out the door so that we're on time for school. And, you know, I think having those natural consequences really help make him understand and appreciate like, you know, how choose what's make priorities. I don't know. Like, do you really want to paint your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Like it's a piece of art for, <laughs> you know, for like 10 minutes, really getting every little corner and that sort of thing, or, you know, can we be a little bit more? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. Do you think and, that he asks different questions now that he's older? you know him and so you know how much he talks <laughs> and how much he loves his questions and like just never never gives up and never um never stops with the line of questioning um but it i think that i've noticed and i don't know i need to reread the first plane and second plane thing um but because i don't remember what i'm supposed to be looking out for um, but I do, I do notice he's more, when he comes home from school, he's got a lot more social observations. Mm. So, um, he was saying that one child said something unkind in earshot of another child. And, um, you know, I was like, well, then what did you say? And he said, I don't think he's, he talked to the person saying the unkind thing and said, I don't think that will make our friend feel good, you know? So I, like, I just, I think that empathy that he's developed at school and hopefully we've tried to enforce at home, reinforce at home, um, you know, it's, it's so, it's so, it makes me feel so good as a parent to see that in action. And then he's got a lot of other social observations. Like there was another child who, you know, was kind of bothering him at school and, you know, kind of like this kid was being annoying, you know, like just kind of annoying. And, um, you know, I, I asked my son, like, well, you know, what, why do you think this person is behaving in this way? You know, like, what do you think is going on? Um, you know, and a lot of times someone, when they're not feeling good about themselves, they might you know, manifest that being unkind or doing, being annoying to you, you know, trying to see what your reaction might be. And so now they're like really great friends because he just asked this girl, like, um, I can't remember. He was like, how are you feeling today or something? And then they talked about it. Then they, we ended up scheduling a play date, you know, like, Aww. And I know, and now they're, now they're cool. So I don't know. It's just really, it's like so beautiful to see. And I do feel good that he talks to me about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. I, I can, I can see, I can just picture that. I can see him in that, in that scenario. Oh, um, so one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on this podcast is because you are a monolingual parent and your husband is monolingual and you have been introducing a second language to your children. And I think there are a lot of people who are in that same situation. Um, 
And so I would love to talk about the decision to introduce Mandarin to the boys and um, what led you to that decision and, and how has it been going? Well, um, I know whenever you say it out loud like that, it seems wild. <laughs> no, um, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, when we started at, at our school, my biggest beef was that there wasn't, um, or my biggest, my chief criticism was there wasn't a language program. Um, and I know that there's a critical window. Um, you know, you can always put in a ton of work later, but if you catch that critical window, um, it just, it becomes a part of them, like a part of them that they don't have to think about or, um, you know, be too rational about. It just comes naturally. And I think that um, I really struggled keeping them at the school um, because I do find it to be so important and I didn't want to miss that opportunity. Um, so I looked for other ways to support that important work and take advantage of this really cool opportunity. You know, I wish as a, as a teeny tiny one, I had gotten another language implanted. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and so I really thought hard about like, how could I support, you know, this really great brain food? Um, and my answer at the time was music because I do think music is a language. Um, and as a musician, I, you know, I didn't start my music um, lessons until I was eight. And I do feel like I worked really hard um, and I still approach music very rationally. And many of the people that I played with, especially, you know, in college, um, it was for them, it seemed like something as easy as speaking or it was like an innate expression. It wasn't like a rational you and your instrument. It was, you know, this is a part of you and very natural. Um, and whenever I would play with someone like that, I would ask, you know, how did you learn? What, you know, try to compare what's different. Um, and the thing that I always heard was Suzuki method, three years old. So of course I filed that away and like 20 years later, <laughs> um, I was Googling Suzuki method teacher when my son was two. Um, and so we did, we started with piano um, and that has been really fun. And I think having that kind of language or learning, supporting your child through that kind of learning um, is a really beautiful sandbox for how do we deal with challenges? How do we get through something that you think is impossible? Um, and, you know, I think figuring that out, everyone has different personalities. We don't choose our personality necessarily. We certainly don't choose our children's personality. They come as they are. Um, or, you know, we, we hope to influence them, you know, for positive. But figuring out how those personalities can work together, I think getting that figured out before the stakes are high is is a good plan. <laughs> so I loved, you know, just doing something fun like music. 
I, I love hearing you talk about the connection between music and language and having music as an innate thing. I mean, I also, I didn't start studying piano until I was eight, I think, but I was singing from an early age. My dad is a musician and he played the piano and sang since I was, you know, an infant. And this just occurred to me as you were saying this, but people always say that I'm, I'm very good at accents. And I mm. always say, I think it's because I'm a singer. So mm. I have that ear and I really do think there is a connection there as well. I say absolutely. And I think that for me, I, I think that um, coming back to Mandarin, it has been really helpful to have that musician training and um, like, you know, I swear, like I can hear a recording and I can tell you what that room looks like, that it was recorded. And I think that, you know, like any sort of sensorial or sense that we have, you know, if you really focus and tune it in, you know, like a small yay or something, you know, like you can really, um, I don't know, go beyond, I think what the normal, um, like, ranges, I guess. Yeah. I was going to say, going back to Mandarin, um, so what resources have you been able to tap into um, to support the boys' Mandarin acquisition? And have you been learning Mandarin alongside yes. them? And that has been a humbling experience because, you know, like I tried, I know logically that their their minds are primed for this acquisition. Um, and still, you know, like, my my two-year-old remembers you know his vocabulary words better than <laughs> I do you know or even um you know the characters but it it's interesting um in when my oldest son was in the youngest children's community he had a friend who um their family speaks Mandarin and then when he moved into children's house once again, his best friend um, also spoke Mandarin. And so, you know, we were, we were social, you know, with, with the families and um, his, his friend has just a very beautiful, generous, kind family. And in passing, um, I was talking to their mom um, and, you know, saying, we would love, I would love to learn Mandarin. And she just took it right away. And then, you know, pretty much the next, the next week we had, you know, just a very structured, here we go. Once a week, this is Mandarin. Oh, wow. PM, you know, <laughs> it was just really great. Um, oh, wow. So what, how old was your older son when you started doing that? Um, he was, he had, he was just about to turn six. Okay. And what, so did you sit in on those lessons and, and do all the activities with them? Or what was that like for you? It was interesting because um, I think it, my understanding um, it, from my own personal friends growing up um, is that Mandarin is a very complicated um you know, knowing all the characters, I think you have to know about 3000 characters to be literate. And 
I think that's like a major challenge. So, you know, I have a really good friend who is brilliant. Um, so, so, so brilliant. Um, but she gets really frustrated when she goes to visit her family because she is illiterate. So, you know, someone has to read the menu to her or um, that sort of thing. And I think it's very common. My understanding is it's quite common for a first generation um, person. Um, you know, you, she can speak, she's fluent, but she is not literate. So you really do have to, if you want to preserve that component of your culture, you have to put in the work. And so I think there's a symbiotic relationship where if your friend's in your class with you, <laughs> it's more fun. So it seems, I hope it's a symbiotic relationship, you know, where we're, you know, by my child being there and being interested and wanting to learn right next to, you know, his friends who speak. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to work out. Yeah. So do they still do lessons once a week? We do lessons once a week. It was Friday, but now we we're on Tuesdays. Um, and it's, there are a couple moms who are teaching and then all the children sit together. Um, and, you know, I'm there with like sitting next to my son and like, we're, we both have our pencils out and we're like writing furiously or, you know, and we play games. So, um, and they try to have like a Montessori kind of vibe to the, to the environment, to the lesson. Wow. How, so how many children are in the group now? Um, it varies. Um, I think there, there were three Mandarin speaking moms and their respective children. One, two, I would say five or six kids. Wow. And that just was born out of you saying, I'd love to learn Mandarin. Well, I mean, I, I it's, isn't that incredible? It I is. feel like it's yeah. such a generous, generous community that, you know, we're a part of. Um, I tried to, um, it sounded like um, one of the teachers needed some help with you know, she was kind of at her limit with where she could help her upper elementary daughter with her English. And I was like, well, absolutely. I'm here for that. You know, like, let me, let me help you, you know, help, let me help your kid learn and you help my kid learn. It's, yeah, it's pr a pretty beautiful friendship. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so wonderful. Um, so what advice would you give to parents wanting to introduce a language to their child that they themselves don't speak? Maybe if they don't have the sort of <laughs> setup that, that you all have. <laughs> I know, I do feel, I, I do feel like we are, we ha are so lucky. Um, I would say find, finding a community, you know, is the most important thing. Um, I think local libraries have like language meetups um, and I think they're virtual meetups. I actually, trying to keep up with my children, I downloaded an app. And so now, and apparently they're like meetup, you know, you can have like little practice sessions through the app. 
Um, but I do my Chinese like practice every day, just trying oh, to keep great. up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, well, I have one more question for you and you can let me know if there's anything that we didn't speak about yet, but I was, um, I'd love to hear what advice you would give to parents who are Montecurious, sometimes we say, <laughs> interested in Montessori, um, want to know more about Montessori or curious about raising their child from a Montessori perspective. I would, I, one of the things that I realized is all Montessori is not necessarily created equal. Um, so, you know, just because um, something says Montessori on it or a school calls itself Montessori um, doesn't mean it's necessarily Montessori. Um, and, you know, there are a couple different accrediting bodies and I have a personal preference <laughs> for which one I think is, you know, has a higher standard. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to be open-minded, but also um, an astute consumer, like caveat emptor, um, buyer beware, um, do your research, if you're, especially if you're going to be spending some money. Yeah. Um, oh, I do have one more question that I just thought of. Um, so you have your older child just is beginning his first year in elementary and your younger child is beginning his first year in the children's house. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for them as they both begin this new three-year journey and what are you most excited about along the way? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I think it was really beautiful that they both started their cycles at the same time. You know, my older my older son, I think, took on a, a very endearing, like, mentor role for my younger son, um, kind of advising him and reassuring him, and um, that was just really sweet to see. Um, you know, hopes and dreams. I, I just hope that they can continue to be so independent and have such a voracious curiosity, you know, like they want to figure things out and I am trying my best not to get in their way, you know, like despite, you know, liking things on my shelf a certain way or having a sense of order that I have, you know, like creating the space and um, letting go of my own it's not letting my personal hangups get in their way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always the ongoing challenge as an adult, whether it's as a parent or a teacher or an administrator, I think that that's always the adult's journey along the way. Um, but yeah, I love that they are beginning their cycles together because they're going to go through that, their whole Montessori journey, then they're going to be starting lower elementary and upper elementary at the same time. And that's, oh, that's gonna be wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much for this conversation, Marla. This was wonderful. Is there Such anything that I didn't ask you about or any, anything I might've left out? Yeah, I, I guess like, I think, I think I meant to say when you were talking about challenges, 
you know, like, and, you know, different people have different opinions and their different parenting styles. And I would say that finding a good, like, parent community is so important. You know, I think as teenagers, you know, everyone, you know, I, I remember hearing things about like peer pressure and, um, you know, how important it is to choose your friends wisely. Um, and I would say the same is even more true as a parent. And I don't mind, you know, like I have friends from like across the whole spectrum, politically or, um, you know, choose your divisive topic. And I feel like I have friends across the whole spectrum, but it's been a challenge to figure out how to reconcile that and, you know, have healthy adult relationships and still create like a, a safe and um, nurturing environment for my children. Um, and I don't even know if safe is quite the right word, but like, yeah, just being really honest with my children about what I think, but maybe um, they might have a different opinion one day, you know? Like yeah. if someone, if we're in a social situation with another adult, maybe, um, you know, to, to kind of explain the different viewpoints um, and then say, you know, honestly, I don't know. At the end of the day, what do you think? Yeah. I think that's so, so beautiful to leave things open-ended like that, you know, and to model that even adults don't always know, don't always have the answers. <laughs> that's an important lesson to learn too. Yeah. It's, it's hard to have those big conversations. That's something that I think I learned when I started working in Montessori that, you know, you can have big conversations like that with children and you don't always have to have all the answers. Yes. Yeah. Ah, well, this is a wonderful conversation. Thank you again for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you, Gabrielle. Always good to talk to you. Thank you again to Marilla for joining me for this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I'll be thinking about the connection between music and language for a while after this. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori or find more resources at multilingualmontessori.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show, or so I hear. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.